Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast. This is episode 46. Your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Um, Today, we have an announcement from last week's uh, uh, bet, uh, where last week, basically, it was revealed that I lost a bet with Mike because I thought that the Republican Senate may might convict would convict Trump. There was a 50-50 chance I thought that they would go ahead, and I took the bet. Uh, I lost, and uh, Mike decided my punishment. And uh, we have some good news to share, Mike, do we not? Yes, we do, Ben. We are donating to Shriners Children's Hospitals, which is a network of nonprofit hospitals across North America that specializes in treating kids who have spinal cord injuries, orthopedic issues, burns, and other ailments. And they treat these children regardless of the kid's family's ability to pay. It has a 95% rating on Charity Navigator. And donations to Shriners Children's Hospitals are tax-deductible. So I gave a $100 donation. And Ben, I understand you have some news on your end. So, yeah, so um, what we're going to do uh, is uh, if um, people would like to purchase a Banter membership, uh, we'll get, you get 50% discount on a Banter membership, uh, and all of the those proceeds will go towards this charity. We'll cover the transaction costs as well. So you can get a membership and you can donate to them at the same time. So um, if you want to do that, you can click on the link below the email. Uh, you can get 50% off and all, all the proceeds will go there. Thank you, Ben. I think that's great. Okay. Now that we've done our good deed for the day, Ben, let's talk about Rush Limbaugh being dead. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we've, we've, we've basically decided to – we've cleaned up our karma, I think, by um, doing something good and then now um, slagging off a dead person. I mean, well, first, first let's, let's get into this. I. Rush Limbaugh died on Wednesday at the age of 70 from lung cancer. Ben, I texted you when it happened, and you replied, quote, thoughts and prayers, etc." And I want to ask, how many thoughts and <laughs> prayers, how many thoughts and prayers did you send? Um, <clears throat> uh, let's say you, pr- you could count them on no hands. Um, look, I, I genuinely do not believe like I'm I'm one, I am one of these people. I don't like to disparage the dead. Um, just because I think, you know, there are people who would have cared for Rush Limbaugh and I, you know, I have sympathy for people who cared for him, you know, maybe he had family members, maybe they didn't agree with him and thought he was an arsehole, but they, you know, he was a good uncle or something like that, or he was nice to them. And I don't know, you know, you can't help who you, who your relatives are. Uh, so I sort of feel bad, you know, for when people die, you think, okay, I kind of feel sorry for the relatives and stuff like that. But, you know, in this case, I just don't feel anything. And I think that the guy, he was such a reprehensible pig uh, that I have no problem. It's like, you know, you want to be remembered well, like, don't be a prick, you know? And uh, I mean, the, the, the kind of the, the kind of person that Rosh Limbaugh is. Okay, I mean, this is sort of um, this is the sort of a human being that you're 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 dealing with here. Is do you, you remember? I think it was back in the um, in the nineties during the Clinton administration. Rush Limbaugh referred to a twelve-year-old Chelsea Clinton as a dog. 
Okay. This is the kind of human being that you're talking about. Literally a 12 year old. The cute kid. Let's take a look and see who is the cute kid in the White House. No, 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 no. That's not the kid. That's that's the kid. We try to. Okay, so what what Limbaugh did was to he pl- he put up a clip of a, a photo of uh, he said I'm going to show a photo of the of the family right the family in, in, the Clinton family and uh, the cute kid in the in the, in the family and he put up a photo of a dog and then switched it to Chelsea Clinton to make fun of a 12 year old like that is I think one of the most disgusting things that you can do. So yeah, when he died, you know, did I did did I give a shit? Absolutely not. You know, I, I have like no sympathy whatsoever for him. And you know, I think if one of his if his family members were like, you know, you can't say that about the dead. You know what? Don't be a prick. Don't be you know, a prick. And also let let Limbaugh's estate, which is valued in the hundreds of millions of dollars, I believe, let his money console them. You know, last year when Limbaugh announced his diagnosis, there were a ton of people on social media, including liberals, who were saying that everyone should be rooting for Limbaugh. And I wrote at the time that, in fact, you don't have to root for Rush Limbaugh to beat cancer. I said, I don't care what happens to this guy either way. He can live another 20 years. He can get hit by a bus. He can die of his cancer. I I, I didn't care what happened to the guy. You know, he spent 30 years pumping poison into our political discourse, 30 years demonizing people that didn't fit with his vision and his mostly white male listeners vision of what America should be, you know, and he, he spent a, over a generation bashing immigrants, gay people, feminists, liberals of any kind, really. And he spent his final year or so downplaying and, and even dismissing a pandemic, which has now killed nearly 500,000 Americans. And, you know, th- he wasn't the first right wing blowhard on radio, but he was by far back in the day, the most talented. And he used his talents for bad. He used his talents for evil. And beginning 30 something years ago, he was able to tap into a largely untapped reservoir of white grievance politics. You know, Nixon would talk about, Richard Nixon would talk about law and order as a stand-in for cracking down on uppity protesters, you know, in Americans seeking equality. Reagan used welfare as a stand-in for lazy black people. I mean, you just look at his welfare queen from Chicago story that he liked to tell. Limbaugh comes in, he pulls back that veneer, and he just laid it all out on the table. And told his listeners, it's okay to be angry at people who aren't like you. It's okay to demonize those people. And that was his shtick for three decades. I mean, this guy, I, he was just so, his toxicity cannot be overstated. I mean, you know, he had the Chelsea Clinton thing. He mocked AIDS victims. He physically mocked Michael J. Fox and said he was exaggerating his Parkinson's disease symptoms. He was one of the loudest pushers of the racist Obama birther conspiracy. Robin Williams, right after Robin Williams took his own life, Limbaugh said, and I quote, he had it all, but he had nothing. 
made everybody else laugh, but was miserable inside. I mean, it fits a certain picture or a certain image that the left has. Talk about low expectations and general unhappiness and so forth. End quote. He called a grad student who's testifying before Congress a slut because she said that health insurance should cover birth control. He played a song parody that referred to Barack Obama as Barack the Magic Negro. He said drug addicts should go to prison, and then he was busted for doctor shopping because he was addicted to painkillers. And as it happened, he turned, he turned out to be an addict. And of course, he never went to prison. I could go on, but I won't. Rush Limbaugh was trash. Like I said, I don't care if he's dead or alive. The damage has been done. The torch has already been passed to the next generation of white grievance provocateurs. Uh, I will say, though, now that he's gone, the world certainly isn't poorer for it. Yeah, um, and I think also he during his last uh, last weeks on Earth, he was um, uh, a, a big spokesperson for Trump and um, this notion that Trump the election was stolen. So he was all into the 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 insurrection on Capitol Hill. Was a uh, uh, was a big fan of that and big fan of um, uh, you know Trump's conspiracy theories. So right until the up until the very end, Rush Limbaugh was an arsehole. You know, right until we literally right until he croaked, he was out there pumping disinformation and hate into the political system and into our discourse. So, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I didn't really post too much about it on Twitter. I don't didn't believe that he warrants that much attention. But like you like you said, do I wish him dead? No. Do I care if he's dead? No, not at all. Not all right. at all. Now that that's done with <laughs> now, that, now that that's done with, we got to talk about. What's happened in Texas? Texas was absolutely blasted by a winter storm last week that brought snow and freezing temperatures to a state that was very ill-equipped to handle it. I mean, the state's power grid shut down and left something like 4 million people without power for days. Water pipes froze and burst in many places, affecting people's water supply. So you had all these Texans who had no heat and no running water, many of them for days. And at least 47 people have died so far. And I'm seeing reports of people literally freezing to death in their homes, and it is just horrifying. And this was just a total across-the-board failure of Texas's energy infrastructure. And and what what set this chain of events in motion was the freezing temperatures, which caused a huge spike in demand for electricity because everyone starts turning their heat on to warm their homes at the same time, and the grid couldn't handle the demand. It's just not used to this. I mean, like Austin, Texas experiencing 20-degree weather and Fort Worth, Dallas experiencing 20-degree weather and snow, like this is just is not something that happens really. So it took the grid completely by surprise. On top of that, the natural gas wells freeze, pipelines of all kinds freeze, some of the state's wind turbines freeze, nothing is working. For some reason, these these sources of energy production and distribution were not weatherized properly or like at all. And the agency in charge of supplying energy to Texas called uh, ERCOT, which is an acronym, had to induce blackouts. So, and the state was warned a decade ago, 
after another ice storm hit that it needed to weatherize its energy infrastructure, and it just didn't do it. So this was a system-wide failure in the making for some time now. And politically, Republicans have had full control of the government in Texas since 2003. So for 18 years, they've held the governorship, the state senate, and the state house of representatives. And they've held the governorship since I was in the fifth grade back in 1995. And so finally now, Governor Greg Abbott is mandating the weatherization of the state's energy infrastructure, but he also wanted to make sure that as residents of his state were freezing in their homes, that he had time to go on Fox News and lie about what was happening. The Green New Deal would be a deadly deal for the United States of America. Texas is blessed with multiple sources of energy, such as uh, natural gas and oil uh, and nuclear, as, as well as uh, solar and wind. Uh, but you saw from what Trace said, uh, and that is our wind and our solar got shut down, and, and they were uh, collectively more than 10 percent of our power grid. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power in a statewide basis. If the Biden administration is going to try to eradicate uh, fossil fuels in the United States, every state is going to constantly have challenges like what America has seen take place in Texas right now. Ah, yes. The people who push pro-environmental policies like the Green New Deal are responsible. You know, this is incredible. And of course, this lie is now orthodoxy in right-wing media. But talk about passing the buck here. Republicans who, again, have been in full control of the government in Texas for 18 years want us to believe that someone, or that somehow a bunch of tree huggers were able to impose their will on Texas's energy policy. The, the failure of Republicans to prepare their state for an emergency like this, so instead we, they have to invent wholesale fantasies about this being the responsibility of environmentalists and people pushing the Green New Deal. This is just an incredible, bald-faced lying. Yeah, he also told uh, he also told Tucker Carlson. He said that he said it seems pretty clear that a reckless reliance on windmills is the cause of this disaster. Right. So, <laughs> so now it's windmills. The the favorite uh, Republican bogeyman is windmills because they kill birds, and apparently they, uh, they they're the ones that also caused uh, the deep freeze in 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 Texas. But don't forget um, they cause cancer as well. That's what Donald uh, Trump said. Of, of course, yeah. I mean, it, 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 but the, the reality was natural gas, right? It was the that's the top, the state's top, top sort of um, energy uh, source is is natural gas, and that's what failed, you know, the the most. Um, so wind turbines were responsible for I think it's thirteen percent of 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 the uh, lost electricity output. Uh, and um, but natural gas was significantly more than that. So, you, you know, again, it, this is just like, but they can say this stuff because they only go on Fox News to talk about this kind of stuff, right? Because they have, um, you know, white nationalist scumbags like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, where they can say things pretty much unchallenged. They can lie without fear of, of being called out on it, as long as it fits in with a sort of ideological dogma on the right. They can say this stuff, you know, with no pushback whatsoever. So, you know, 
again, this is an, an another example of disinformation, right, that gets pumped out into the system, pumped out into the media system that isn't challenged properly. So, you know, like you know, now that's just that's where everybody believes that all the Republicans and Fox News viewers believe that that's what happened. Right. How I what what's interesting about this is that how, how does the country or how does a state put itself on the right track if it cannot accept facts or evidence? You know, it's like in Florida where they basically deny climate change exists. Right. They deny climate change exists, even though the coastline is disappearing. Right. And cities are spending hundreds and mil- hundreds of millions, billions of dollars um, trying to figure out how to um, stop their cities from sink, essentially going underwater, right? Insurance companies' premiums are rising for insurance companies because they all accept climate change is wrong, yet the Republican government um, doesn't accept it. Say it doesn't exist, not a real threat. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary, um, you know. And uh, I, th- I think the the Ted Cruz debacle was perhaps the most sort of, um, what would be the word for it? It, it, it was the most, it, it highlighted really how just how divorced from reality and divorced from governing the Republican Party is, where the Texas senator, during the middle of not only uh, his state freezing over, Right, and a massive energy crisis, but during the middle of a pandemic as well, decided to skip town to Cancun. This is an amazing story. This is a political blunder of of epic proportions. This is just incredible. Like you know, in the middle of the biggest, like. Yeah, it's a nat- it's a natural disaster, but it's also man-made in that they, as we noted, they neglected to prepare their energy infrastructure for this. But in the middle of one of the biggest crises the state of Texas has faced, Ted Cruz skips town to go to Cancun, and then when he's spotted at the airport and on the airplane, everyone said, what the hell are you doing? You're going to Cancun? You're going to the beach while Texans are freezing to death. And at, and at first, and he still does, but at, at first he had more, uh, more defenders on the right than he does now, I think. You had Ben Shapiro, for example, saying, well, what do you expect Ted Cruz to do? You know, go out and personally defrost the, you know, defrost the windmills or whatever the hell he said. And it's like, no, but how about Ted Cruz uses his power and vast influence to get constituents things they need. You know, you had Beto O'Rourke, former congressman, now a private citizen. He was helping coordinate things. He was helping get people to warming centers. He was phone banking, making calls to seniors, making sure that they were okay. He was mobilizing people to, to get donations in. You know, even Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's like 1,600 miles away in Queens. She had a fundraising drive for these folks. And Ted Cruz is going to Cancun with his family. I mean, come on! And now he's taking it. He's taking it from both sides finally, because I think people realize what a horrible, stupid mistake this was. Just not not just optically, but just morally. No, yes, I I think uh, th- this was probably the worst move of his career thus far. 
you know, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not sh- sure what political price he's going to pay, uh, but it's, it's, this is pretty bad. This is, this is pretty bad. And, and the funniest thing w- was him blaming it on his daughters where he said that, um, <laughs> that he was going to, he, he was going because his daughters wanted to take a trip to Cancun. So he and his wife, uh, decided that, 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 um, they would escort them there. Um, uh, they, he would take them down and come back straight away. Well, it turns out um, that wasn't true because the New York Times broke a story. They received text. They got screenshots of text messages between um, uh, Heidi Cruz and and their neighbours, uh, uh, basically te- saying to them um, that uh, you know they were going to get they were going to escape the winter the winter freeze over in Texas by going to Cancun. And did anybody want to come with them? Even their neighbours. Or at least one of their neighbors ratted them out. Yeah, no, of course. Of course, Cruz lied. And in typical Cruz fashion, just throwing his daughters under the bus, which is hardly surprising because this is a guy who, look, he's in Donald Trump's back pocket, or at least was, probably still is to an extent. And that was even after Trump disparaged Heidi Cruz's looks. And we've talked about on this show, like, that's not something like, you don't do that. Guy calls your wife ugly. You don't make nice with him. Right. I, I know. I mean, this just shows you what a sort of um, uh, reptilian, slithering sort of douchebag this guy is with no moral core, no sort of no decency, no backbone, um, no courage, uh, just a wet blanket, really, just a kind of a, a, a slimy, scheming turd. Um, and that's me. I'm being nice. I'm, that's me being as um, as, as, as uh, polite as I can about Ted Cruz. The fact that he allowed basically Donald Trump to Donald Trump to insult his wife um, in a really kind of unpleasant way, uh, and then get behind him and vote for him and campaign for him and then protect him all throughout his presidency is you know, that shows you what kind of a person you're dealing with. And and the fact is that you know T- Ted Cruz kind of occupies this kind of strange sort of um he has a strange role in american politics right where his his uh his main occupation now is just to sort of troll the lips you know that's that's the kind of what he does is he just he trolls um aoc on twitter uh he that that's you know he doesn't do any governing he doesn't do anything right his uh, his his sort of whole raison d'etre is to just be an arsehole, right? And and that's sort of what Republicans like now. And he's seen that because that's what Trump did. You know, Trump Trump's entire Trump's whole shtick was owning the lips, right? And and Ted Cruz wants in on that, right? He wants to. He realizes that if you can just own the lips all the time, you're going to develop a kind of an, a a. a, a a sort of a, a movement around that, but he's such an unpleasant and unlikable character that he can't really, he, he doesn't really succeed in doing that because he, nobody likes him. You know, I mean, even people who vote for him don't like him. I believe Lindsey Graham said you could kill Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate. And if they held the trial, if, if they held the trial in the Senate, not one Senator would convict or something like that. And he might not be wrong about that. You know, Cruz is not well liked. Like he said, he's not well liked by his Senate colleagues. He's not liked by Republicans generally, even in his state. Uh, 
Because he's just like you said, he just he's just a weasel. He's so eely. He's so transactional. He has he has no moral core, as you said, and and he's just such a he's just such a, a bad faith actor. And and now he's finally come around. He has shown some contrition, but still not a full blown look. You got me. My plan was to go to Cancun for several days. And yeah, maybe I planned on making some calls, you know, to try to use my influence to help my constituents out. But this is just something I shouldn't have done. It was a complete lapse in judgment. And I apologize. He's come short of that, because as we know, in the Trump Republican Party, which this party still is, apologizing is a sign of weakness. So you have to like you have to make excuses for yourself. You have to blame your daughters or you have to half-ass the apology that's not really an apology. And and I just want to touch upon something that you said. Uh, I want to expand upon something that you said. And this is, a, this is for a whole other segment in another podcast. But when it comes to owning the libs, which is what Ted Cruz specializes in as opposed to, say, governing or in legislating, I worry that – there's a big market for this among millions of voters across the country, particularly on the Republican side, who they, they've been taught that they can't count on government, that government is bad, that government never does anything right, the government's never going to deliver for them when they need something, and they've internalized this. And now they figure, and maybe this is at like a subconscious level, or maybe not, now they figure... Well, if government's not going to do anything for me, the least I can get out of this experience is, is my political opponents getting owned by my elected officials, by my preferred elected officials. So yeah, maybe Ted Cruz isn't doing anything for me personally. Maybe Trump's not doing anything, or maybe Trump didn't do anything for me personally, but at least they got the libs. And I'm not going to get anything out of this deal anyway, no matter who's in power, but if those people get elected, at least I'll be entertained and they'll, they'll hate on the same people that I hate on. You know, and this goes to the, the sort of the, the causes for Trumpism in the first place, right? And um, the, the reason why Trump was so popular. And a lot of people talk about, um, you know, Trump is popular because uh, of, uh, you know, basically middle Americans have been squeezed and they're, they're not doing well and poverty and wages are going down and blah, 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 blah. But if you actually look at the, if you actually look at the data, if you look at the surveys and you look at the people who vote, voted for Trump, right? The median wage of a Trump supporter was $70,000, right? That's not the medium, that's the median. Okay. So this means generally speaking, these people are quite well off, right? Generally speaking, they're all, they're all quite well off. There isn't there's probably not a huge range of, you know, rich and very poor. It's probably, you know, they're all around, they're all kind of upper middle class, uh, middle class, upper middle class, um, economically doing quite well. So, you know, and survey after survey shows that what they were, the, the driving factor was, um, you know, fear of immigrants. And so basically racism, right? That people voted for Trump because he was going to kick out the immigrants, because he was going to own the lips, because he was going to, you know, bully the, pe bully the people who they perceive as kind of, you know, um, you know the un-American people, the, i.e. the not white people, right? So it's kind of, it's a, he has the, he, 
nailed the white grievance vote, right? It wasn't it had nothing to do with economic uncertainty. It was all to do with um, the fear of other, with fear of black people, with fear of Mexicans, with fear of El Salvadorans, with fear of Asian people. Anybody who was not uh, was not white, right, or was was in their mind not an American, right? And that's and there's always been that sort of um, that that kind of that racism in American society, right? And I think that Trump just came out and was basically unashamed he just unashamedly spoke about it right and gave everybody else permission to say okay well look now i can kind of come out with my hatred and all these other politicians are trying to tap into that you know so ted cruz is another one who's trying to tap into that 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 virulent strain of kind of white nationalism and and racism and uh he he's not very good at it but that's what he's going for right and and these people and these voters right they they don't believe in government they don't think the government's going to do anything for them but what they know that they can do is they can own the lips yep that's what it is now that that that's what it is and uh and that's what the 2020 2022 primaries are going to be about can we take a break from hate it from bashing republicans and bash on a democrat for a second can i can i just get this out Hey, let's go. Let's let's bash them Democrats, bash them, bash them libs. Well, a lot of people on the left would argue that this person is not a lib. But a couple of weeks ago, I briefly mentioned Andrew Cuomo and uh, how he's been taking heat for his handling of the pandemic, especially early on. And uh, I just have to get this out there. I just have to get this off my chest as a, a former New York resident and constituent of Governor Cuomo's. So we, we've we learned that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is a Democrat, uh, and his COVID task force are under investigation uh, by the FBI and federal prosecutors for the Eastern District of New York. And this is after the state attorney general issued a report suggesting that early on in the pandemic, Cuomo's administration intentionally undercounted the number of COVID deaths Uh, of nursing home patients. And those deaths have now been counted and the official number has risen from about 8,500 to 15,000. Okay. So an aide to Cuomo, actually it's Cuomo's secretary, a woman named Melissa DeRosa, who I have little doubt is being fattened up to be the fall person for this. She told Democratic lawmakers that the administration was afraid the nursing home data would be used as part of a federal investigation launched by Trump's Justice Department into nursing home deaths. And you might recall Cuomo, all the way back in March, uh, issued a directive ordering nursing homes to accept COVID-positive patients in an effort to free up space in hospitals, in which, looking back at it, was an extremely bad idea. I mean, even at the time, it was a bad idea. People were being critical of it. And so this, of course, made the spread worse. But instead of taking responsibility, Cuomo infamously and characteristically blamed the caretakers at the facilities. Because in Cuomo world, nothing is ever Cuomo's fault. right? And naturally, over the summer, as New Yorkers were still dying of COVID, he had time to write a book. Or he had a 
book ghost written for him about lessons in leadership during a crisis before this thing was even like half over. He's, he's, he's already declaring victory mission accomplished over COVID-19. Well, Last week, a New York State Assemblyman named uh, Ron Kim, who's also a Democrat like the governor, his father was a nursing home patient in Queens, I believe it was, and he died of COVID. And Ron Kim has been very critical of Cuomo, and apparently this infuriated the governor because he called Ron Kim last week, and according to Kim, Cuomo berated him, demanded that he take back his criticisms, which he said weren't true. Cuomo called him Four additional times that day, according to Ron Kim, who didn't pick up the phone. He's Ron Kim's retained an attorney. And now other Democratic politicians are coming out and saying that they too have been subject to these kinds of abusive phone calls, where he phones them up and reads them the riot act. And Bill de Blasio was on MSNBC Friday morning, who of course has a an extremely hostile relationship with Cuomo. He was on MSNBC saying, this is who Cuomo is. And I will note, there are similarities between Andrew Cuomo and Donald Trump. These guys are cut from a very similar cloth. I mean, they both have big egos. They both put up a tough guy front, but they're extremely thin-skinned, can't handle criticism. They seem to reserve their harshest vitriol for uh, members of their own party who cross them. And in true Trump fashion, Cuomo used a COVID task force press conference last week to suggest that Ron Kim had engaged in unethical and perhaps illegal activity about something completely unrelated, something about taking money from nail salons. So, But that's what's going on in New York these days and the Cuomo administration. So this is probably the worst week of his, or last week was probably the worst week of his governorship. And I do hope these these authorities investigating him get down to the bottom of this. And if he did cover this up intentionally, I hope he pays a big time price for it. Well, I mean, if, if what's, the, if the, those allegations are true, then he's going to have to resign. I mean, that I don't see how you come back from that. Um, I think that's that's absolutely disgraceful, you know. And I think um, you know, I mean, he he loves Cuomo. There's nothing Cuomo likes more than a camera. He loves the limelight. He loves the attention. Uh, I you know, I'm not. Uh, I'll wait until I'd like to see what the investigation yields you know i want to see due process done i think that's important uh but it, it doesn't look good it really doesn't look good at all um and you know i think during that time when the death the deaths were spiraling out of control when nobody knew what was happening the the one thing that you know made sort of you know what a good leader should should do should have done was was to just be honest about it, just to be honest about what's happening. If there's something going wrong, talk about it, admit it, and try to put it right, rather than try to cover it up. And that that's the, it's the absolute worst thing you can do. I mean, look, in the scheme of things, is what Cuomo did comparable to what, you know, most Republicans do while in office, while, compared to what Donald Trump does in office? No. I mean, that where would that rank on the sort of Trumpian scale of of, uh, of of scandals? It would rank probably, you know, bottom. But nevertheless, it's still awful, and it's still there. Still has to be, you know, standards, and people should be held accountable for what they what they've done. You know, I don't I don't buy into that because he's a Democrat. We've got to sweep it under the carpet and move on. Uh, no, I think the guy needs to be investigated fully, and he needs to, he needs to pay a price for this. 
a criminal price if necessary, if that's what the, the investigations yield, but definitely a political price. And he's up for re-election. He's eligible to run again in 2022. And I, I'm sorry, but I just... I, I've never cared for him. You know, like he said, he loves the camera. He loves getting out there. He's he's full of bombast. He's I, I think New York can do better. And I think I think he rode to where he is largely on his family's name. His his father was a very popular governor in the state. And uh, you know, if his last name were like Rizzo instead of Cuomo, I'm not sure he'd be where he is today. Right. Right. And, um, you know, I think uh, I, I, I hope the media does a good job in holding him to account. And I think that the liberal media um, needs to do a good job on this as well. They need to report on this fairly. Uh, uh, yeah, they're going to get you know, the, you're going to have the Fox News. The problem is, and again, we've talked about this before, right? That the problem when there's a democratic scandal is that uh, the right blows these things so far out of proportion that most you have to end up kind of defending, you know, defending liberals, right? Defending, um, uh, you know, the Obama administration. The Obama administration did a lot of things wrong. You know, they did a lot of things wrong. There were things that should have been investigated and things, things that Obama should have paid a price for politically. But what happened was the right-wing propaganda machine kind of jumps in and blows it completely out of proportion. So you end up... Um, you know, you end up having to kind of sift through all of that noise to get to the actual truth. And the truth is sort of, yeah, oftentimes it doesn't paint a good picture from, from, for Democrats in, in, in many circuit, in many cases, you know, Democrats are not perfect by, by any means. And I think that, um, you know, if we're going to get out of this sort of tribal warfare mess that we're in, Democrats are going to have to police themselves as well. Uh, and that comes with with Cuomo being, you know, if Cuomo needs to needs to be sacrificed, and so be it. So be it. We will see you all next week.